Please open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We will begin reading in verse 38. Matthew 5, 38. Ye have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh of thee, and to him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. Let's pray. Dear Father, your word is clear, yet our hearts are dark. We need the enlightenment of your Spirit. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, that you would purge us and cleanse us this day, that your word would be alive to us. In Jesus' name, amen. This this section of verses combines a couple of things that have been long misunderstood. If, if you read verses 38 to 42, and then if you go on to read verses 43 through 48, it's a text that many people have misunderstood. And by misunderstood, I mean they take these verses and make them into a pacifist teaching. How do we react when we are challenged by others? And I don't mean challenged as in I can run this stretch of road faster than you can or something like that. I mean challenged as in someone does something to us that hurts us or offends us. Now, our human reaction naturally is to fight fire with fire. If you do this to me, I'm going to do it back to you and a little bit worse so you will never do it to me again. But that doesn't work. Because immediately upon the revenge that's taken, the person upon whom that revenge was exacted then will in turn react in a worse way than was done to him. And it's just back and forth. There's a story of one missionary who was a former boxer. and I've heard this told a couple of different ways. So I don't know particularly if it's true, but as I said, I've heard it told. It's one of those preacher stories that's passed down over several generations. A former boxer had become a missionary, and he was setting up prayer tents in this village. And while he's setting up these prayer tents, a group of about three men who opposed him came, and they started tearing down the tents. And then they all found him and they started to attack him. And finally, one of them just reared back and slapped the man, slapped the missionary. He took it and then he turned his other cheek like that and obviously they thought it was a taunt so they slapped him on his other, man slapped him on his other cheek And then he said, I have now fulfilled the obligation to my Lord. And he decked all three of them, 
so they didn't knock down any more of his prayer tents. Sometimes our interpretation of this text is about that simplistic. This is a command. Jesus said to do these things. As long as no one takes me to court for my jacket, as long as no one slaps me, and as long as no one asks me to carry his backpack for a mile, I'm free to do whatever I want. Well, that's the way that the human heart views the commands of God. If I fulfill this exactly the way I'm supposed to, I'm free. And I can sin whichever way I can think of as long as I do exactly what the Word says. No more and no less. These verses are commonly misunderstood. Just like the previous commands that we've looked at, Jesus is not condemning the Old Covenant standard. The standard here, in verse 38, you've heard that it has been said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That is Scripture. That's from the book of Leviticus. And we will turn there in a few minutes. But it's, I mean, it's in God's Word, Leviticus 24.20. But that is not something that Jesus is saying is wrong. The problem is not God's commands in the Old Covenant. The problem was the way that we twist. And the people in his day had twisted the commands. Remember that in these verses, Jesus is teaching us how his kingdom works and how the citizens of his kingdom should live. In verses 38 through 42, he is teaching us how to absorb the attacks of our enemies. And then, as we'll look at hopefully this afternoon, verses 43 through 48, he teaches us how to engage our enemies. So I've entitled both this morning's sermon and this afternoon's sermon, Engaging Our Enemies from Upside Down. And the reason I say upside down is because that's definitely an angle where no one would expect an attack to come. If you see someone standing on their head... You don't feel threatened in any way. Well, when you observe, if you were to observe in the first century, the Christians living these things out, and they didn't live it out perfectly, okay? But if you were to observe them living this out, you would think, these folks are no problem to us whatsoever. Yet, within a period of a few centuries, this was the dominant belief system over all of Europe, Northern Africa, and a great part of the Middle East. This was the way that God, and is the way that God has chosen for us to engage our enemies. But before we can counterattack, and the verses in verses 43 through 48 teach us the biblical method of counterattack. We must learn how to first absorb the enemy's attack. This is a common military maneuver. 
one side launches an attack on another, and then that the, the one side that's on the side that's on the defensive will absorb the attack, and then turn around and launch a counterattack themselves to soften up the enemy in order to prepare that enemy for the all-out assault that will come later on. Well, the all-out assault that would come would be the evangelism that would take place by the church. But first, there had to be the, the holy and humble defense. And that's what we will look at today. So, let us take the text. In verse 38, we are told, and I'm just, we're just going to look at these verses, 38 through 42, and, and note something about each one. In verse 38, we see God's eternal standard for justice. We see God's eternal standard for justice. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. Now, I know that does not end that sentence, but I'm going to take that just in itself because, as I said before, that is a command. If you look with me in the book of Exodus, chapter 21, verse 24, it says, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, this is verse 25, stripe for stripe. Then in the book of Leviticus, chapter 24, he will say, Almost the same thing. Leviticus 24, verse 20. Breach for breach, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he hath caused a blemish in a man, so it must be done to him again. So it's clear this is not something that Jesus was unfamiliar with. He knew all about this command in the Scripture. Uh, this is commonly known as, in Latin, the lex talionis. It means the punishment should fit the crime. And as, as it should. That is God's standard for justice. Now think about it for us. If we sin, when we sin before God, He is perfect, He is holy, we offend Him, we contradict His law, we sin against Him, what do we deserve? Well, Scripture says the wages of sin is death. So we deserve death. The punishment should fit the crime. And don't think that God has ever altered that standard of justice. He did not. And He will not change that. You say, then how can we live? How can we have any hope of making it through this life and then to be with Him in eternity? What hope do we have? Well, the hope is that the penalty has already been paid. There was death on your behalf. You had to die. The sentence was upon you to die, yet Jesus came and died for you so that you no longer have to die. He died. The punishment was laid upon Him, as Isaiah says in his Beautiful prophecy in Isaiah 53 of the Lamb who would come. Jesus took the punishment that is deserved. But don't think that the justice of God 
was removed. The God of the new covenant does not change. His standards are eternal. This standard of justice is eternal. Now, this was given, though, to judges. This command in Leviticus 24, 28, and in Exodus 21, verse 24, it was not a private action. In other words, if someone did something to you, you could not say, oh, all right, you stab me in the eye, I'm going to stab you in the eye now. No, it had to be in a court. Remember, Israel had the system of judges, and if you had a case, you'd go to that judge, and then the judge would hear and make the judgment. That is how this was to be carried out. It's not just an act of private revenge. And that's what it had become to many in Jesus' day. Many thought, well, someone did something to me, I can turn and do it right back to them. It doesn't work that way. I can remember years ago, uh, we had to d- memorize this part of uh, Matthew chapter 5, and some in my family, I'll not name names, <laughs> believed that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we knew that that was inspired text. So we proceeded. If one sibling was slapped, then obviously you should be able to slap that person back because Jesus quoted the fathers, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, and so we inserted slap for slap. But that's not what it is. It's not private. But even at that, there's a, there's a very good indication uh, in history, and there's hints of it in Scripture, that this could also be, not necessarily that <clears throat> after you're declared guilty, then if you've knocked out someone's tooth, someone will have to carefully extract yours. But instead, there's indication that you would have to pay a price for the fact that you had knocked out someone's tooth. In the book of Numbers, chapter 35, verse 31, it says this, Moreover, ye shall take no satisfaction for the life of a murderer, which is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. Now, what is that term satisfaction? Satisfaction is a payment that would be made. It would be a type of ransom paid in place of the penalty for that crime. In other words, if you're fighting with someone and you crush his hand, and I know usually if it was as bad as I'm about to describe, you know, the person would probably die, but, you know, say it's crushed so bad it just fell off, okay? Then they're not going... Chances are they would not, the person whose hand you crushed, would not say, all right, we're going to take this to court and then we're going to break out the saw afterwards. But that probably wouldn't be the case. It would be that when you injured a person to that extent, you would have to give that person, after the judge or the judges heard it, you'd have to give a ransom or a price to pay for the fact that that person will never be able to use his hand again. All right, And he's saying in Numbers 35, 31, look, you can't just pay a ransom or, or an amount of money to get out of the penalty for murder. If someone commits a murder, they must die for it. With the understanding being that for lesser crimes, 
that would be acceptable. But still, the amount would have to fit the crime. There's a lot of difference between losing a tooth and losing an arm. So the amount would have to be acceptable. But the point that Jesus is making in this chapter, or in these verses, is that the fathers said, particularly Moses said, and then it's been repeated over time, that you must render just punishment for a crime. Then in verse 39, Jesus elaborates, he explains what is meant in verse 38. And he says in verse 39 that we are to forsake private revenge. We are to forsake private revenge. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Let's take this first phrase. When Jesus said, resist not evil, that's not to say, when temptation comes, give right into it. If you feel like doing something, don't try to resist it. Just, that is not the point. Okay? Instead, he is saying, you should not yourself go to war with those who attack you. Now, he says, of course, whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. It would be common if someone were to be slapped. That was a, a, a method at the time of dishonoring another person. Now, of course, today we think somebody slaps me. They certainly are not honoring me, and that's true. But it's a much greater indignity even during this time than it is for us today. If you were to slap someone, that is to say you are beneath me. You don't deserve to be in whatever position you are in. You remember that the priest slapped Paul because he didn't like the answers that Paul was giving. And then Paul proceeded to call him a whitewashed tomb. And then he was told, this is the high priest. And Paul said, oh, please excuse me. Which, just as a parenthetical statement, one of the reasons a lot of people think that maybe Paul had poor eyesight is because uh, the per- he could not even recognize that the person that slapped him was the high priest. So, anyway, just just a biblical note. But Jesus is saying that even though the Scripture says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that does not mean that you may go and do whatever you want to those that hurt you or to those that dishonor you or disrespect you. Because the standard is that you live before God as His child, not I'm going to give hurt to anyone that causes me hurt first. We cannot allow personal insults, hurts, and the like to go at us into taking revenge on another. The temptation is there. Okay? Now, as good Christians, we are not as prone. I'm not saying it's 
above us. But we're not as prone to give overt revenge. Okay? Why? Not because we necessarily don't like the thought, but because that would hurt our Christian reputation and we value our reputations higher than we value you know, actually giving in to our flesh and giving this person what for. So, we won't do the outward revenge thing, but instead we will find backhanded, implicit ways of getting revenge. Hopefully so just the one person will notice. You know, just very small darts and daggers. That's forbidden also. Because in the Scripture, you are called to not, on your own, resist or oppose those who would cause you insult. Now, some text for this. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22. And if you would turn with me there, there are several Proverbs all together where Solomon makes this point over and over and over. Proverbs 20, verse 22. Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and He shall save thee. Don't say to yourself, I'm going to deal with this person. Why? Because only God can truly deal with that person. See, many times we think we want justice. But we don't want justice. We want revenge. There is a difference. Revenge is to say, I want to cause this person pain. I want to give them pain the way that they've given me or the way that he has given me pain. God's justice is to mete out, to to grant punishment for sin in the way that He knows will fit what is done. And brothers and sisters, it's extremely rare that you know exactly what the person who has hurt you needs. Because you are emotionally caught. All you can see is through your own Blinders. And it all... And you've heard of people who have rose-colored glasses. Well, when you're angry, you have a different kind of red, a different shade of red-colored glasses. And all you can see is what you want to do. You cannot see the way that the Lord sees. That's why we have judges. Even to this day, that's why He's given us judges because we are not the ones who should extract justice. Proverbs 24, verse 29. Say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me. I will render the man according to his work. Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. If he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. 
That gets into the next section of verses, verses 43 through 48, but the point is made. And of course, this is not only in the Old Testament, it's also in the New Testament. In the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 17 through 21, Paul, taking what has been said already in the Old Testament, explains, Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Paul is quoting Solomon from Proverbs. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now having said this, does this mean the fact that we should not that we should not engage in private revenge? Does that mean we should not defend ourselves? Does it mean that we should not defend our families? Well, of course we should defend our families. Brothers, in particular, you are called to protect your house. How do I say that? Well, we're not going to read it, but if you, if you want to at a later time, read 1 Samuel chapter 30. David has his wives and his children and, and others in his household stolen. They're taken away by, I believe, the Amalekites, but I'm not sure. So what does David do? Does he say, well, the Bible says, resist not evil. Man slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. No, he doesn't say that. He takes his men and he goes and he retrieves his family. And the Lord ordained that he do it. So that is scriptural. But again, you, are, you do so from the perspective of defending your family, not from the perspective of, oh, this person thinks they want to mess with me. I will make them hate the day that they ever thought about it. No, the goal is that you are defending yourself. So that doesn't mean literally when someone, if someone comes up to you and they slap you, that you must automatically just say, all right, go ahead and get this side too. If someone attacks you, protect yourself. But after you've protected yourself, don't proceed to continue pummeling the person just because you don't like the fact that they decided they were going to pick on you. So don't seek private revenge. Next in verse 40, Jesus commands us, He tells us to not be drawn into petty quarrels. Not be drawn into petty quarrels. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Have you ever noticed what a small thing is being pursued in this Scripture? Don't think that all the followers of Jesus were all, you know, dirt poor paupers. You know, that they nobody had a house. Nobody had any place to live. The only thing they had was a coat, and so the per- a person's taking, suing them for the only thing they have. There, there's more to it than that. Jesus 
is saying that we should not allow ourselves to be drawn into and, and go down on the level of those who would quarrel with us. The person who will sue you for your shirt is, well, I don't know any way, any other word for it than petty. They're, they're wanting something that is, overall, it's insignificant. So if someone is demanding something of you that really doesn't matter, it's not that big a deal, why are you going to get haughty and defensive over it? Oh, you say, oh no, they're not going to take anything of mine. I demand to be treated this way. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Again, keep in mind why the people of Israel lived under an oppressive regime. And not, not, I don't mean oppressive like Cuba or oppressive like North Korea or anything like that, but still, they longed for freedom. They longed to not be under any yoke. And then there were people who were socially above many of them. And Jesus is saying, you're not going to gain the kingdom by engaging in small-time arguments. And our enemy would love to keep us in small, petty rancor. He would love to make us angry and bitter so that we are reduced to total impotence in the kingdom of God. Because we are seeking for our respect. I'm not saying respect is a bad thing. It's a good thing. But Jesus is saying, you don't earn that in court. So he said, if someone sues you at the law for your cloak, if, if, if someone, or excuse me, is suing you for your coat, give him your jacket. Don't make a big deal about it. Because if you respond in godliness, the people will see. This is how, brothers and sisters, you let your light, sh- one of the ways you let your light shine before men. So that when they throw things at you, you respond in holiness. Verse 41, Jesus tells us to go beyond what's asked of us. To go beyond what is asked of us. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Men at this time could be required, any man, you could be required, if necessary, to carry the pack of a soldier or a government official. You could be enlisted in service at the drop of a hat. How frustrating. You've had a long day at work. Work that you have to walk to, by the way. You're on your way home. You're looking forward to seeing your family. And then you are enlisted to help. What is that about? 
you're, you're going here and they want you to go back the other direction. So how do you respond? Do you say, make me? Well, then you get in trouble. But there were plenty of Jews in that day that had a resistance mindset. They said, we're going to assert that we are the people of God. And we trust that if enough people were to band together and rise up, that we could have a revolution, we would overthrow the Roman army. We've done it before. We got rid of the Greeks. We'll get rid of the Romans. And the way we start is right here by not carrying this soldier's stinking, smelly pack. And Jesus is saying, don't be lured by that rebellious attitude. Go beyond what is asked of you. And the human heart, at that point, the sin in our heart causes us to just bulge up like a big cramp that comes in your leg. And you think, I, I, I can't move. I cannot do this. So, thankfully, He's given us a Spirit of God to overpower the sin that would obstruct righteousness. See, Jesus is here being an anti-revolutionary. Many Jews wanted a revolution. Jesus is condemning outward revolution because He has the plan to take over the world with His kingdom. He He knows the prophecies of Daniel. He's not saying, look, let's just give in, let's just ignore things, let's just bury our heads in the sand, and then eventually we're all going to get to go. Maybe it'll be a rapture. Who knows? Jesus is not saying that. He's saying, no, the plan is that you submit to God. You obey. You serve. And go further than you were asked to go. Do you want to talk about getting attention? That would get attention. I've said this before. We have a mistaken idea in the early part, in the really early period of the church. I'm talking about right after Jesus died until a little bit before 63 or so A.D., that Rome was the oppressor of the Christians. Rome didn't oppress the church until Nero came to power. Who oppressed the church? The Jews. Who's always getting Paul off the hook in Acts? You know, Paul will be caught. He'll be called up to court. This person—he's caught—he's a nuisance. He is causing trouble, and who helps Paul? The Romans. I know we're not used to thinking about this, but Rome, for about thirty, a little over thirty years, they protected the church. Until Nero, whose nickname was the Beast, by the way, turned, and then things got bad from the Roman, from the from Rome itself. But the point is that Jesus is saying, "Serve." This is the way. If you want to let your light shine, go beyond what's asked. Don't just do. Certainly, don't rebel. Don't just do the bare minimum, but go beyond that. And the same thing for us in your job, in your home. Husbands, you want to wire your wife when she's when she asks you nicely, would you please go, you know, put some such and such up? 
Instead, uh, instead of just putting it up, show her that you know how to use a dishcloth. That will help you go beyond what's asked. And then give your wife a smelling salt so she'll wake up. Wives. Don't, uh, sorry, I'm not just going to lay on the husbands and then stop. Uh, ongoing beyond, I know this is just in the household, but still, you know, we've got to practice somewhere. If we don't practice in the home, God, we're certainly not going to practice outside. Do something for your husband and then don't expect something in return. You say, well, what else is new? Well, do it without chalking it up as another notch for me. Do it with grace. This is, this is just living this out. And so then when we, when we start practicing in our homes and then we take it into the church and then we take it outside the church into daily life, interacting with people who don't know the Lord, they're going to see something. So in culmination in verse 42, Jesus says that we should be known as generous. And he doesn't say this explicitly, but be known as generous instead of cantankerous. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. Don't be known as a stingy miser. Give. Don't hold. It's not going to do any good if you hold it. And we'll talk about this more when we get later on into Matthew 6. But all this is in the context of those who would ask something from you. When you're asked, give. Be known. Establish a reputation as being generous, which the early church did. So how does this all relate to attacking our enemy? Or better yet, to absorbing the attacks of our enemy? Because there is one way that our enemy expects fighting to take place. The only way he knows how. When someone is dirty to you, you be dirtier back to them. When someone opposes you, you find a way of getting back at them that's a little bit more devious, a little bit more painful than what was done to you. That is how the world fights. But that's not how Christians are to fight. Our method of warfare is foreign to our enemy because it doesn't seek harm but good. It is an upside-down method in this way of defending ourselves. When we resist not evil the way Jesus said, when we forsake private revenge, when we don't engage in petty quarrels, when we go beyond what is asked of us, when we are generous, it totally baffles and confuses the one who would oppose us. And I'm not necessarily talking about the human being that may be opposing you. I'm talking, I mean, although it might baffle them as well, it will definitely baffle the one against whom our warfare truly is. is. Our enemy knows how to fight dirty. 
He doesn't know how to deal with someone who trusts God and obeys joyfully. So Jesus calls for His disciples not to react the way men naturally react. But instead, He calls for them to receive the attack and then serve your enemy. But not just serve. Serve your enemy unto the God who rewards joyfully and who judges righteously. This is counterintuitive. Absolutely counterintuitive. And if you don't think it is, if you think, that doesn't sound too bad, wait till somebody crosses you and then you get the privilege of reacting in grace and humility. And you have every bone in your every bone, every cell, every tendon, every muscle in your body that wants to react in a different manner than what the Lord says to. Now I know if you haven't already thought this right now, you may be thinking, but people will take advantage of me if I do that. I don't want to be a doormat. I don't want people just treating me like trash. Well, first of all, I'm not, I'm not telling you to go around and look for someone who will slap you on the right cheek. Okay? Don't, don't try to go make a nuisance of yourself so that others will observe it and you'll really irritate them and get under their skin. So don't go looking for a way to be run over. Don't try to give yourself to manipulation. And Jesus is certainly not saying that we should do that. But we are all in situations where we are presented with the question, do I fight for my rights or do I submit my rights to God? Of course, some will take advantage of you if you are faithful to obey Jesus' words. Yes, that will happen. It happened to Jesus. If it happened to Him, do we not think that it would also happen to us if we're following Him the way we should? But, if we submit to God and we obey what Jesus says here, do you think that God is going to ignore it? Will God Himself, the God of heaven and earth, not see your obedience? Will He say from His holy heaven, that nitwit is obeying me again. He is going to get run over if He doesn't stop that. Is that what He will say? Or will He say, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things and I will make thee ruler over many things. That's what he'll say. The only way, though, that we can do this, the only way we can follow this is with faith in God's promises. That's the only way. Brothers and sisters, you can't obey what Jesus says here based on willpower. It's not just, all right, that's the command, 
and I don't feel like doing it, but I'm going to do it just because. If that's the only thing you're going on, it may work for a little while, but it, you, you will wear down quickly. You must believe that although we don't see all things put under His feet, that we see Jesus, as He says in Hebrews 2. You must believe that when He died and was resurrected, He conquered sin and death, and that He purchased an elect people greater than any man can number, many of whom are right now on the enemy's side. And you could be the soldier that He will use to pierce the armor with the Word of God. And cause that person. Now, I'm not saying you change the person's heart, okay? But he does use men to give the word. And the word comes in and it brings salvation to light. Paul said. You must believe, if you're to fulfill this, that God is working all things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And I don't care how you interpret that verse. The words are true. Either He does cause all things to work together for good or He does not. And He said that He does. And if you believe that, you can receive, and you are receiving the grace to put these verses into practice. If you don't believe what He has promised, you will not have the strength to withstand the enemy's attack. The promise of salvation is that He will cause you to overcome all the assaults of the enemy because you are in Christ who has already overcome His enemies. Therefore, if you trust Him, He will cause you to stand against the attack, no matter how hard the battle becomes. You are an overcomer. Not because of your own strength or goodness, but because you are in Christ. And that cannot be taken away. Let's pray. Our Father, we love You. And we thank You for Your promises. We thank You that You give us what we cannot, the ability to do what we cannot do ourselves. And so now we ask that you would bless us to receive your perfect wisdom. And we submit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.